Today's episode of the Poncho Section is brought to you by... Now that's what I call seal noises. Yes, it's a compilation of various aquatic mammals making sounds to the tune of seals kiss from a rose. And if you order now using promo code PONCHO, you can get for free, now that's what I call churning butter. It's a churning butter CD compilation that was originally marketed towards the Amish, but wasn't really well thought out. Well, before I forget, I want to introduce our guest right off the bat, Keith Kaufman. Thank you for being here today. Thanks yeah, for right joining me. us. And I, I want to hear about your journey over here. Yes. Before we get before we get into our topic for today. So normally, uh, so like I, I live in Richwood, and in order to get here, I would generally take a few trains. The simplest path would be L2 to N at Union Square, and then pop on over to Astoria. Hmm. But the L train's down, and as well as the end train. So it was just buses for me. Just buses. And, yeah. And the unfortunately, when there's construction on an above ground train, it shuts down, obviously, the train itself and, and that rail line, but then parts of the street that's below it because they're collecting falling debris from their construction. So you get two lane rows and then become one lane rows, and then the buses will maneuver through that. And obviously, you got your normal traffic, pedestrians, and the, the lights and buses will then go down side streets that run parallel to like the main strip, let's say like 31st Street when you get closer to Astoria. Mm-hmm. So it just is much more time consuming. And we all know the troubles of one-way streets in New York City, especially when you're dealing with a bus that's so wide. It's That's like a big difference between New York City and, and London because non- London, I mean, is a, like a massive city and they have amazing public transit system. But the first thing that you'll notice is that the streets are much wider. Yeah. So their bus system is nothing like ours. Our, our bus system, like it's sometimes like unpredictable. And um, well, they have the best subway system, the tube. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, so you got a city that's 600 square miles mm-hmm. and you also have the most expensive transit system in the world. Yeah. And their system is different than uh, MTAs because MTAs, you pay a fixed amount and they can just travel any distance pretty much as long as it's connected. Um, but it, in London, it's a lot like DC where you're paying for distance, mm-hmm. but the price per distance is like the most expensive in London. Hmm. But w- okay. with that, I mean, you, you certainly experience, I would say, like the benefits of, I mean, I don't know if like if they're in debt or if they're like making a, a large surplus, but it's a much better transit system for, you know, compared to like what we have and like yeah. even like um, DC, but I don't know that like DC is that they're in debt, but like for- I each, like DC system. Yeah. People, like, people in DC like the New York system better. Have you so, ever been on the mm-hmm. Philly system? No, I've never actually been to Philly in. <laughs> was general. it the Philly? Maybe it was. Yeah, Philly. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty good. Yeah. It's it's like it's like a New York City subway, but if they if it was like made today, because okay. you know how like the the system has been around for many many years, it mm-hmm. seems like a they they were like oh let's we should have a subway system too right yeah. okay yeah, let's make one. And it just, it, I think it makes an L. That's about it. It's, well, it's just not an, nearly as big as New York. No, but it's just, it's just an L-shaped I mean, subway system. But it's really nice. Like, it's all yeah. clean. And there's, like, no homeless people living there. And it doesn't smell like death. Yeah. Well, what's amazing about uh, MTA is we're dealing with different terrain. And we can't mm. just, like, have it branch out in a whole different fashion. I mean, when you look at Chicago's transit system, it's like a spider that has just been squashed. You know, and it just branches out 
more or less from one focal point where New York City, I mean, show me the one focal point. I mean, you can't. And we have to then have focal points that connect to, I mean, I think of it as like pressure points in the city. So like Times Square, 42nd Street, or like 34th Street or 14th Street Union Square. I mean, these to me are all just massive pressure points where it's a high concentration of people because there's so many connections. But then Mm. you have all of this that's pretty sporadic. And we used to have two systems in uh, New York City. That's why we have the letters and we have the numbers. And then you got to connect that to the PATH train and New Jersey Transit. And you got to connect that to the Long Island Railroad. Mm-hmm. And you have to connect it to uh, you know Metro North at that. So, I mean, everyone's in different companies are, are owning these rail lines too. So it, there's so much politics involved. And I think it's only going to get better and streamlined when you're comparing this to a city that has pretty much like one overhead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and well, for, for those of you guys who don't know, we're doing this podcast from Astoria, Queens. And yes. Keith is coming from Ridgewood, Queens, which you would think would be very close because they're within the same borough. But that's not the case. No. Because Ridgewood <laughs> is basically like Brooklyn, I would say. It's like another, it's like a Bushwick too. Yeah, I mean, it's like right on the, the yeah. best of best between Brooklyn. Yeah, and so, I mean, the best way to explain it, you know, the there's the M train, right? Is that, yeah. is that near? Yeah, and that'll go, like, you would have to go, if you're going into Queens, if you're taking that towards Queens, that's not going to go anywhere near you. Right. Right, you would have to take it in the other direction towards Brooklyn. Yeah, I mean, the, the M does this massive U-shape. Yeah. And it, it, it's very, There's I can no see that connector. being con- yeah, confusing to a lot of tourists. Mm-hmm. Um, Essentially what we're saying is, MTA, get your shit together. Welcome to the Transportation Podcast, everyone. I think I sent us off the rails. No, that's fine. This pun, is... pun intended. <laughs> Very good. So so what are we talking about today? Books. Books. We're going to burn them. I mean, what? No. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, I shouldn't have brought my books. No, so... Look, look. This is Fahrenheit 451. Let's talk about what you got there on the top of your pile. I see uh, Waking Up by Sam Harris. We were talking about him a little bit before we started recording. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so what, what's that? I don't, I mean, both I don't of, know the book. Both of so. you know who... Um, Sam Harris is. I mean, maybe we should like but, give a, a yeah. The fans might not. No. Yeah, yeah. So a little background. Little background on uh, Sam Harris. I think he's it, he is, and or, or or if not, I mean, he'll certainly become like one of the most highly respected intellectuals. I mean, right right now. I mean, he might he might be like the new. Norm Chomsky, but just from a different point of view and a, mm-hmm. certainly a different background, um, where Chomsky is like historical and cultural and social economical. But anyway, yeah. uh, Han- Sam Harris, uh, he has a background studying Western and Eastern philosophy. He went to school uh, in undergrad for philosophy, and then he got a PhD in neuroscience uh, from UCLA. That's sort of his educational background. And you can see that that is pretty much all-encompassing in terms of the human experience and, uh, like, consciousness as well as, I mean, everything that that kind of, like, falls under that bracket. Mm-hmm. But he also knows a decent amount about history. And there are so many subjects that just, like, intersect at these, uh, you know, areas of study. And obviously, religion is going to be one of them. And he's always been fascinated with theological claims and beliefs and stretching from Western to Eastern traditions. So he might be known in like some circle as this staunch uh, like atheist who debates people, everyone from Rick Warren, that was like towards the beginning of his career, to uh, 
Oh man, like oh, I mean, See, all sorts of people. Like, didn't he debate Ben Affleck on? Uh, well, on, on well, the, well, he didn't really debate him. I think he got yelled at by him. Well, yeah. So, <laughs> and, and that's and that's funny because that that really um, projected him into the spotlight for a lot of people. He, so mm-hmm. he's on Bill Maher. Yeah, that and, I think that like that helped his career in a lot of weird ways. Yeah. So he, he's written a lot about the future of Islam and the. That was one of his latest books, actually, uh, which he uh, wrote. It's basically a dialogue between him and uh, Majid Naraz, and uh, who is a former extremist, actually, and now is a political figure in the UK, uh, mm-hmm. if you can believe it. But that conversation is the, is just centered around Islam and what the future of that, and kind of tearing away at this shelter that generally liberals and folks from the left have created and and, and and kind of unifying and seeing all religions on the same plane and like level field mm-hmm. uh, like, or like leveling the field. And mm-hmm. um, what his point is, Sam Harris, that is, is that individual beliefs actually matter. They lead to different consequences. And there are really objective reasons why we're more worried about uh, Islamic extremists than we are about, let's say, Quakers. Okay. <laughs> it, it, but like a lot of folks just With wanna... their oats. Yeah. But <laughs> Gotta watch out for their oats. I think to that, though, I think that is what... I mean, there are a lot of people who listen to his... He has a podcast, right? The uh, which yeah. I think is the same title. Yes, yeah. w- waking up. Waking like, up. Yeah. So yeah, right. I think he created around the same time, and it actually right. just uh, recently won the the Webby Award. Oh wow! Oh. Yeah. So I mean, obviously he's very popular, but he also rubs a lot of people the wrong way, and it's mm-hmm. and it's that stuff with Islam where people claim that because of that those beliefs that he might be Islamic Islamophobic. Right? Yeah. Right. Which is, which is a nonsense term to, to begin with. Um, it's and, a nonsense and, term. And that's like another like buzzword that has just been like being passed around and just used with an ease that just like doesn't make sense. So, for instance, how can you fear an idea? We usually use phobias in terms of being afraid of nouns and like physical things. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, can you really be afraid of, you know, justice? I'm justice phobia. Like that just Mm -hmm. seems um, way too abstract and and very strange. And some people might project okay, well, that's an idea, but then it gets transplanted onto people. So then you're like afraid of the people, but then mm. that's also not true at all. And that's certainly not how people use this term to begin with. Well, I think they use it for people who might be afraid of the ideology. Right. Might be, just to play devil's advocate, to be, yeah, be afraid of... But what does what, that mean? What, I mean, it could mean anything. It could mean what, what they're capable of, what people, like people, what they see on TV, you know, what, uh, what's in the news. Um, but, terrorism. What it, but what does it mean to be like a, like afraid of? I mean, something well, that is phobic, purely ideal, ideological. It, well, right? it's, yeah, it's a phobia. So I, yeah. yeah, I guess also being devil's advocate, my guess would be more of it's a fear of those who will take an ideology and take it to another level. Right. And granted, it's not fair to paint an entire religion yeah. or an entire religious group with that. However, it is. I would say it's fair to criticize specific ideas. Ideas, I think, are completely fine to be criticized and discussed. Yeah. I think it's when you paint a certain people. Well, I don't think that's then that's a different term, right? right. When you I, say I Islam, right. that doesn't right. imply and people, right? right? When and I, I say saying, justice, that doesn't imply. And I'm not lawyers. saying that they're using right. it correctly, but I think that it's become one of those things where words have usages, not necessarily intrinsic meaning. So I think in 
yeah. today's layman kind of world, that's how it's currently being used. Well, I don't think it's fair to label anyone. No. So where like someone like Sam Harris, if he says something you don't agree with, then you just use that and say, oh, you're Islamophobic. I don't like yeah, it. Yeah, that's well, not well, cool. Well, yeah. well that's, that's what I mean by yeah. the, the ease in which the term is used. Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of yeah, like, what like Ben Affleck was saying. Well, and, he, and the he, thing was, is, he was these, wrong on so many the, levels the, in that situation. But, <laughs> but, but the thing is, people tend to jump back and they have this recoil motion when they hear something that doesn't sound right initially. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, I mean, like, Harris and, and folks like him, they understand that recoiled reaction, but they also want to just, I mean, more or less like call a timeout to say like, well, let me unpack this idea for mm-hmm. you. And the problem is too many people just get reactionary and they get caught up in their emotions it's very and true. sort of much like stuck. It, it's, it's beyond being stuck in your own framework and this mm-hmm. is your point of view and that's that. Um, I mean, it's it's really the most like fundamental, I, I, I guess, like uh, problem that that people have with debates. So I watch a lot of debates. I, I love the, the organization of, of the debates and to have like deep, simulating conversations about like different topics. But anyway, the one of the biggest mistakes, and it's so common, it's so fundamental. I don't know why people, everyone makes it, but it's not understanding the other side as well as you understand your own. Mm-hmm. So Affleck was jumping into, I, I guess you can say that it was it was a quarrel i mean not, not, not much of a debate but it was certainly a quarrel yeah i wouldn't but, call he, it a but, debate. but he jumped right. into it with like not understanding uh harris's point of view at all and there was actually something that happened um off screen that pr- pretty much like showed affleck kind of meeting harris halfway where harris is like you know look despite everything that we just said what do you think would happen if we burned the quran on tv you know would you expect the same outcome as if we like burned, I, I don't know, like like the text of uh, Janus, you know, mm-hmm. or, 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 or like sacred, like you know, Buddhist texts, or like copies of that. Like you okay. know that it, the reaction would be different. So in in some way, like you have to concede to certain you know parts of my point. But he's just um, advocating mm-hmm. that we should have an open dialogue, an open discussion, and a realistic one that doesn't get politicized. And there is a certain taboo that comes with dissecting and looking further into belief systems that, mm-hmm. that you know millions and billions of people, I mean, like hold so dear because they revolve their life around this, right? This mm-hmm. is their interpretation of reality. Mm-hmm. And for one reason or another, they don't analyze it in the same way that we analyze literally everything else in the world. So anyway, so that, that we were just trying to provide a background for right. Sam Harris. Um, well, yeah, I want to know, I guess, more specifically, the Waking Up book, like what that covers. Right. So this was a really interesting read. The overview of this book, I guess, and, and what he was trying to accomplish. So it's it's nonfiction. It, he writes, uh, I, I would say, between this good cross section I, I would say between like someone who's like philosophical and also being scientific so looking for objective empirical evidence for things that you can only you know c- consider or, or you have you know a hunch over and what he aimed to do with this book is analyze the the concept of the self mm-hmm. whether or not it's an illusion and whether or not there's any evidence to support that given his background and then also seeing if there's a guide to spirituality what that word means without religion that is spirituality without subscribing to any messianic revelations and and things like that because there is a difference between western and eastern religions 
Mm-hmm. And, and, and that can be like one of the fundamental ones, actually. So in other words, you can learn about Buddhism and concepts behind their ancient teachings without ever considering any sort of like revelations where you cannot do that with the monotheistic mm-hmm. religions. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that's like the foundation. It's, you know, something was revealed to X and we have stories and these stories, you know, provide some sort of framework of like how you might live your life. Where actually in, in, in Buddhism, a lot of their teachings, it says, look, we have found out that if you do X, you can reasonably expect mm-hmm. Y. And it's something that you test out yourself. So he kind of just takes these components of it mm-hmm. and analyzes it. And I mean, th- it, so, there's there's a lot to unpack, like in, in the book. I mean, like the, yeah. just the first thing that I mentioned um, about the illusion of the self. I mean, that's a whole mm-hmm. topic. It yeah. Span. So in terms of uh, religion, would that be? So he's more talking about, I guess, just spirituality in general being a spiritual person. Um, yeah. So and, what does that mean? Yeah. Well, that's, that's what I'm trying to figure yeah, out. Yeah. That's such yeah. a, a, one of those words that has so many other meanings. When, when people when, say, yeah, I'm, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Yeah. Well, every single person who would say that has a different meaning. Yeah. So it, it's one of those words that essentially doesn't really yeah. have any meaning. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you might as well say I'm sh- blah 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 blah. Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, that's not even a word to begin with. Well, um, now, it is. now it is. I'm schlubble. I'm, yeah, we're gonna start. I hope religion. you're paying attention. Yeah. <laughs> Pay attention, Marion Webster. <laughs> <laughs> but so he recognizes that that was like one of the first things that he wrote about in, in the book. Mm-hmm. Jeez, and birds need to cut it out. They're they're our new guests. They're Sam Harris uh, fans. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're really excited about Sam they, Harris. They, they can't collapse a little chirp. Um, well, he breaks this word down to its origin, just like th- there's a whole number of words that have changed its meaning over the course of time. Sure. One of my favorites is uh, the word mad, where it used to mean crazy, and then it you know means angry for some people. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of folks don't know that, and words are always like changing amount. You know, among us, that, that's like the what makes linguistics. Or I guess, you could say something such a is huge study. Or that was that was mad crazy. Oh well, yeah. Not, oh, <laughs> you, you have slang terms. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how much um, the slang is actually recognized by uh, lexicographers. But mm-hmm. anyway, so he looks mm-hmm. at spirituality in, in, the, in the foundation of the word is just basically breathing and like be, being with, with the breath and kind of like resting in, I guess, awareness that kind of like goes with that. So. That also seems just as vague, I suppose, right? Pretty vague. And but it, what it what it really is entailing is introspection. Okay. So the most classic form of introspection and learning from introspection is through meditation. I was gonna say, like that, yeah, as you know, and then meditation is also conflated and highly misunderstood for whatever reason, mostly in the West. I mean, in in the East, most of those people have experienced meditation, but it's weird. People in in, in the West, I mean, I've certainly spoken to people. I mean, I meditate pretty frequently and and I've been doing this for for some time. And yeah, I mean, what's, what's misunderstood is it, is it that people don't. So why is it misunderstood? I I keep on thinking uh, that about the word, because for instance, I've spoken to people where I say I meditate and they think that meditation is the same as hypnosis, like hypnotizing people really? or hypnotizing really? yourself. But, the, but, but then if you rephrase the question to say, I have gone into meditative states, they don't think about hypnosis. 
So if you just change the way in which you're asking the question or you change it from, you know, a noun to, you know, some form of a verb, yeah. all of a sudden the person will change the definition in their mind and they're not connecting the two. And I find that to be just, I mean, that's extremely odd, but the yeah. difference between, you know, maybe but, I need to describe the difference between like hypnosis and, you know, meditation. Well, they're very, um, I mean, they're, they're not any anything alike at all, right? Yeah, I mean, I, hypnosis so is someone... You, you can actually view them as opposites. That's what's so interesting about it. So, like, hypnosis is a, sort of like a, a, a giving up of c control. It's and, done for and, and a like reason, like, putting yourself too. on, like, autopilot, mm -hmm. so to speak, and, like, someone, it, becoming, like, an empty vessel that, like, you can be filled with an idea and then you can, like, you know, assume that idea for whatever, for whatever purposes, maybe for, like, entertainment on a stage. But then, like, meditation is you're actually... I mean, there, there's many ways to look at what the point of meditation is. And there's like meta meditation, like loving kindness and stuff. And then there's meditation that's surrounded by, and you know, just like vipassana, resting with the breath and the awareness and mindfulness. Let's mm -hmm. just take mindfulness for example. That is just taking in your surroundings and being not closing them off, taking everything in, every sort of like sensory data. So that is just pure awareness. Let's say, right? That's sort mm -hmm. of the central, of the bull, center of the bullseye there. Um, and, and that certainly is different than hypnosis. But like when we we talk about meditation all the time, Westerners do, but they rarely realize that that's what they're talking about. So when so let's take someone who might not meditate stereotypically. Okay. Um, let's say you know a frat guy that loves football and he's like the man's man and you know you understand what yeah. i'm trying to say right yeah. he's let, a bro let, 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 yeah let's let's use this caricature i mean many people wouldn't think that they're you know there's there's a lot of emotional depth perhaps mm -hmm. um anyway he he might not be so philosophical to you know think that he knows what meditation means but he'll use terms that are often associated with it when describing sports. So when we say that someone is in the zone, for example, it's like, oh man, did you see, you know, <laughs> so, so, so such and such, like last night he had like three, three pointers, you know, in, in a row, he was such an, in, in the zone. Right. Well, that means that, you know, he was just so concentrated in, in this person's like mindset that that's more or less like you can be looked at as a form of like a meditative process. Well, that's like, that's someone just not even thinking. They're not even thinking right. about what's, what's coming next. Like they're kind of going on your instincts. Well, they're, they're living, well, they're very present, I guess is the best way they're, to say They're it. not injecting their self. They're not projecting anything. Yeah, no, so, yeah, so, that makes a lot of sense. So, so they're kind of like resting in the space between thoughts. Mm -hmm. and, and it's kind of like in this space in which... It's people, a hard place to get to. People like Harris make the argument that the whole idea of there being a self is purely an illusion. And like that's also like a really... Difficult that, that's so hard about. for me to grasp. <laughs> like that—that's the kind of stuff that makes my head spin. Yeah, but I mean, like, so I, I was thinking, like, if we were going to talk about this book, I would love to just like dive into um, the concept of the self too. Okay, sure. We can we can jump into that for a bit. Yeah. So because like it, it can be like a really like controversial. We could do idea a two-hour episode. <laughs> <laughs> so like. Like, first of all, you have to analyze what we mean by the self. And this worries a lot of people because if you say there is no self, then it's just like, oh man, do I really exist? Is this all just um, a, a simulation? And, you know, I'm in a coma somewhere in a hospital in Arkansas and I just don't know it. And all of this is just like make-believe. We're in the matrix. So, exactly. Just like sort of like the matrix. Like, I mean, that's not what we're talking about when we say like there there isn't a self. What we're saying is um, there's a difference between 
feeling the sense of an I, that there's this like locus of consciousness that we identify with that is more or less in this space generally like behind our eyelids that, you know, we uh, have bodies mm-hmm. and um, not are a body. Uh, it's like, it's, it's like, it's a slight difference, but it's a very like important one. And, um, it's like with this like center of consciousness, we always project I to our thoughts and like to our emotional states. And so that goes along with like feeling that there, like there is an I that this consciousness, um, is your own. So that is separate than your history and what you've collected. Um, so for instance, who your friends are, why they're your friends, what you have learned, your knowledge. I mean, so that's obviously all located in your consciousness and in your brain. But that's a different sense of self that we're talking about. Can I ask, you said consciousness is your own, as as in could the alternative be that your consciousness is shared by other people? Like, I, 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 could well, you maybe explain, some, explain yeah. that a little better? Okay, so... <laughs> Um, a lot of people, so that a lot of people in, in the West do believe that um, they are their consciousness, and that means to say that they believe they're identical to their thoughts and they're identical to their emotions because who else could be thinking them? So that's me. But um, but they are your own though. Like those are your own. Th- like I'm like I am hungry. But that is my own thought. But, but but that's but that's different than identifying and thinking that that is who you are. So for instance, like, let's consider why that's not the case. So like, if you Mm -hmm. were consciousness itself, Mm -hmm. that means that you are identical to your thoughts and emotions. Okay. But then also, but, and then people think that there's a unifying self that you carry from moment to moment, you know, I'm myself right now. And then um, a few hours from now, I'll be eating dinner and I'll be the same self. I, I, you know, I am that person, right? Well, consider this, like how often throughout each day, throughout, the course of a week or a year or whatever, do your emotions change and your emotional state changes? And then consider how much control do you actually have over these emotional states? You have a certain amount of control, though. I mean, to you, an extent. You, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you could also... Well, are you separating control over the emotional states or are you sep- or, or from... Um, so are you separating the, the state between taking in these emotions, recognizing mm-hmm. as, the, as they arrive and the actions that you make? Because that's different. I'm saying that you pretty much don't have much control over the emotions that arise within you because you honestly can't control all those biochemical processes that are happening in your brain at any given moment. But how you deal with them. Yes, yeah, how you how you yeah. deal with them. So, okay, so but like you know what's interesting about this? Yeah, because I, I can see this in two parts. One, there there is one way that you could control some of those emotions in a sense, but it would require drug use essentially, because you can alter your your brain. But uh, once again, you're not you're not controlling how a substance is then altering your consciousness. Yeah. That's true. I guess, but you are the one who is who is inflicting that substance upon yourself. You are, but you don't know. I, I got no. I know what you're saying. Like you don't know but how then, you're going to react right. to it. But then, granted, I also on the on the flip side, there have been cases where people have had um, some sort of brain damage, and they've yeah. when they've come back, like either from a coma or something like that, they'll have like a split personality. So mm-hmm. in that sense, who is like the consciousness there? You like, have that's a whole other can of well, worms. Right? You have two consciousness is going on well well we can we can talk about that too um so people that have 
a lot of trouble with epilepsy. And like over the course of history, epilepsy is, is such like a fascinating phenomenon. I mean, we used to think that those folks were um, possessed by the devil, um, in like in ancient times, and obviously through before we could understand the neurological reasons, you know, for like having epilepsy. But one way of treating it besides like shocking someone <laughs> that is um but is sort of like what you're describing i, I think anyway which is splitting the left and right hemispheres mm-hmm. and like what are the consequences of that so i mean the process of that we have um something in our brain that connects our left and right hemispheres you can think of it as like a a bridge of, of fibers and like that's called the corpus uh Calesum. And you can have surgery, and a lot of people with epilepsy have had this surgery where pretty much you, you, you kind of just cut that bridge. So you're separating the left and right hemispheres. And what you'll see is that you can actually develop two senses of self. And they're very really? different. And there's there's like fun stories that go along with that. I'm not familiar with, with all of them, but like one of them is because when uh, we should talk about what it means left and right hemispheres. So they have, this is like broadly speaking, but there's like different responsibilities, I guess, in in terms of processing data through your left and right hemispheres. I mean, like just as like a broad overview, like left is like your analytical, it's um, side, it's uh, what's critical. It's like, it's it's considering language and logic and, uh, you know, formulating speech and like written words and recognizing that too. And your left hemisphere controls your like right motor functions and vice versa for your right hemisphere controlling left motor functions. And then on top of that, you're to go speak on the right hemisphere again. Um, that's more of like your creative side and your like imagination and your insight and everything as well as like visual data. So because of this split, when someone has this surgery that like cuts that, you know, the bridge of those fibers, what you can do is you can isolate pretty, you know, I, I guess, like finely uh, tuned, like uh, isolate and ask questions to each hemisphere. Huh. And you can get like different answers. Mm-hmm. So um, with this one case study, they asked uh, a man kind of like, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they asked the left hemisphere that question. They asked the right hemisphere right. that question. And it's something like the left hemisphere said, I want to be a draftsman. And the right hemisphere said, I want to be an astronaut. And wait, I'm sorry. The first, the first one said he wanted to be what? Like a draftsman or something? A draftsman? What yeah. is that? Yeah. What? What is that? I don't know what that is. I should I know what that I, is? I don't know. Is, is it is it someone who I don't want to say something and be wrong about? We got phones. The the point being though that it could have been anything, right? The, the point is that it's, astronaut. It's and the different. other the other one wanted to be a lawyer. Yeah. So <laughs> a, dra- a, a draftsman is is a, is a drafter, a technical. Technician oh. is a person who makes yeah. de- uh, detailed technical drawings or plans for machinery buildings. Um, yeah. So the, these are different and, and just like non-overlapping magisteria too, right? Mm-hmm. Like one doesn't necessarily in- involve the other. So when you ask someone who maybe believes in the unification of having one soul that you carry throughout you know, your time living on earth as well as like the afterlife – but then you bring up a story like that where, well, we just split someone in two, more or less. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and they have a different sense of who they are. And, and here's the craziest thing. The left hemisphere doesn't even recognize that there's a difference in the right. <laughs> so it's it's not like you are have the ability to analyze this predicament that you're in. So, so I mean, that, that's like another like fun thing. From how you're like describing really it, it sounds like essentially humanity is a battle between the left and the right <laughs> sides well, of your brain. 
I mean, as to as to who you are, really. I just think there's so much that we don't understand. Yeah, yeah. I mean, back to Ethan's point for, for sure. I, I mean, and we used to think that it was more segregated than it actually is. There's such a strong relationship between um, these hemispheres, and there's such a strong relationship between parts of the brain that is analyzing any sensory data, and that's why blind people can have a heightened sense of hearing, mm-hmm. or you mm-hmm. can actually retune. Um, yourself like neuroplasticity for example and rewire the brain even after some time Mm -hmm. to crunch data that's normally assigned to like another like cortex of the brain or or one that you you would imagine and we can like talk about that later because another book that i yeah um, i kind of right now i kind of want to i'm looking at that book that's underneath and that does this say bodybuilder? Yes, yeah, so this is the the, the bodybuilders. The bodybuilders. Um, is it a is it a workout book? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not a workout book. But it's it's about. I think of it like this. It's it's like a TED talk mixed with like Oliver Sacks type of narratives spoken from I guess like a, a journalistic point of view, mm-hmm. and it's really well organized and. So like when you read like Oliver Sacks, um, you know, it could be like the, the man who mistook his, uh, his half or his wife. Um, in that book, he just talks about stories that don't relate to one another. And it's just like case study after case study. But he writes in a, in a certain language that is you know relatable. So like layman terms, for example, mm-hmm. it's not like highly scientific. And the journalist does the same exact thing in, in this book, The Bodybuilders. But he will actually kind of build upon the story that he just told, even if it's oh, totally okay. like unrelated. Okay. And um, like consider the body as just like raw material and, and considering it like this machine. And we're going to analyze the cognitive side of this machine. We're going to analyze like the motor function of this machine and like ways in which we can amplify as well as like substitute depending upon what debilitation someone might be like going through. Okay. Um, and, and what's the author's name, just so we, we get that out there? At, I'm probably going to mispronounce his last Adam, name. You can guess. Adam, Adam, I'm going to say Adam Piori. That's what I was thinking. Okay, that's that's I'm what I've been saying. I'm going to go with that, and I apologize, Adam, if you're listening, if I pronounce it wrong. But it really is like it's... If uh, you are listening, hey, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's one of my favorite books this year, and it was just released this year, I think like March 2017. And okay. as soon as it hit the library, which... You we were, were first online. Yeah, I, I was... I reserved the book like right away, and I've I've had to renew it a few times because I'm a slow reader. <laughs> Good for you but, for but going was, to the library. Yeah, got to give well, you credit for that. Well, I actually I, didn't. I convince you to get a library card. You did. Right. You did. I Queen, um, Queens Library. Yeah. Uh, well, the just New York. Yeah, New York Public Library. Yeah, Public Library. All you, yeah. Oh, I rented. Okay. Oh my God! It was I can't remember. Oh, The Cursed Child. Okay. The, Harry, the eighth Harry Potter. Oh, book, that's the Harry Potter book. Beat time. Which I it. it's oh my god, I hated it so much. I really wanted to write like a blog post about it, but I just got too lazy to do it. But mm-hmm. maybe I will. Maybe this will. This episode will kick me in the butt to write a blog post about how much I hated that book and how much it ruined everything. Yeah. Well, well this yeah. is this is so the thanks, books. Episode. Thanks a lot, Keith, for convincing me to get a, a library card. Well, it's like the internet. There's going to be good and bad, and yeah. um, <laughs> it's providing you with the full spectrum. But that's actually. Um, so we were uh, downing the MTA, but the, I think one of the best things about New York City is public access to information, and that's both mm-hmm. through the library system and uh, you know, the museums that are here too. You can as well as like, the, the MTA, culture, though, because the MTA doesn't have anything to do with it. Right. Well, the MTA helps. I guess they help you get to those. They, places. they help you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, although I don't 
take the bus often to the library, yeah. but I do go to the library every single week, and I've been doing that for years now. I mean, that's great. Probably like every year that I've I've been in the city, so that's like about six years. Um, and whenever I have someone visit me in the city that probably like hasn't been in the city before, mm-hmm. it sounds strange to say this, but I always say, "Oh, we gotta go to the library." And they <laughs> they say to me with a puzzled face and you know the eyebrows raising, "What well, do you have to?" pick something up do you have something on the shelf like no you just got to see this library it's amazing and they're like yeah. is it a museum <laughs> well there actually is a library that's a museum yeah. at you know bryant park we can visit that one too we can go to two libraries and they're just like really confused <laughs> like i and, shouldn't have come to new york <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, so clearly you're well read and you've gained all this knowledge through reading on this seems to be very, very heavy. What do you? What type of books do you read that are more lighthearted and kind of fun, entertainment style, or, or just something for your, your leisure? Uh, well, I mean, I guess to go along with that, I, uh, I mean, I, like, I don't just like read thick books. No, I know, <laughs> I, know, I know that. Um, but but, I, I've but been the try- listeners don't. Know I, that. I, I've been trying to have themes per year. So I'll have like last year, for example, was mostly philosophy. And with Mm -hmm. that last year was a lot of Eastern philosophy and reading about meditation. And so for instance, I did read like Waking Up last year, Mm -hmm. maybe one of my favorite books that I read last year, which is why I brought it today. Um, This year it's more science, it it seems like. But for lighthearted reading, I haven't read any Twilight. <laughs> Neither have I. That, I love how that's on my like, list, though. That like struck a chord with Mike. <laughs> if you could just see him, he's very giddy, um, and it's not with excitement. I think, um, but that was funny. I, short memoirs are are like light reading for sure. Mm-hmm. Do you like a Sedaris, David Sedaris, 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 David Sedaris, David Sedaris. Well, my dad likes him, and I, I, I have not personally read something because I'm a big fan of his. I think you just got to listen to him. It's just like Frank McCourt. You got to get the intonation in his voice and how he speaks. Well, I'm an audiobook this... guy. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, oh, that's there why. You go. Like that. Yeah, I'm. An, I like yeah. Audible. I, I listen. I don't actually read that much. I just listen to. What's a lot. the most? Yeah. What's the most recent thing you you listened to? Um, most recent thing I listened to was a book called The Art of Not Giving a Fuck <laughs> by uh, oh gosh I wish I remembered his name Mark something or other would you we'll recommend it, it yeah I would it's there's a lot of mixed messages in that book okay at least at least for me because he seems because he's all about like oh I'm so cool I don't give a fuck but you kind of have like Hey, the whole point is like you there are certain things you should care about and there are certain things you shouldn't care about right so if you ever read and I, I really like self-help books. If you ever read, um, there's a book called Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. And it's yeah. a guy who tells you, and I read it like years and years ago when I was in high school for like a psychology class. Mm-hmm. And it's basically telling you like, you know, don't worry about the little situations in life. You know, that don't let those get you down. Okay. You don't worry about the bigger stuff. And this kind of takes it to like another level, I would say. All right. Um, but there is like a lot of confusion to it. And I think as with many self-help books, at least my my issue with them is that when I'm reading them, I'm like, oh, really good stuff. And then at the end, I'm like, wait, I'm having a hard time grasping these concepts. And then <laughs> that's what always happens. 
So like I've read a lot of it and then I'm like, oh yeah, this is interesting, but it's like the actual using the different tools or whatever that, that are given to you. Mm -hmm. That's the hardest part for what, me. What are sure. the concepts that have been hard to grasp? Um, well, in terms of, I guess in terms of this book, I mean, I, you know, there's certain things like, yeah, don't worry about the little things, but I guess it's like, where do you draw the line? You know, where, what are the things? So that, it's, it's, it's the, impl it's the implementation. It's not yeah. so much like the understanding. Of right, right. And, and also. So I think there's a lot of things that maybe he's not really one. There are certain situations where he's saying like, you don't necessarily have to control your like emotions. Like if there's something bad that happens, like you should get pissed off. Like that's okay. And I guess that that makes sense to a certain degree, but there's a certain part where it becomes, doesn't become healthy for yourself. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so like anger is a really interesting subject and the way in which that is kind of separated from the other bunch mm -hmm. and by like the other bunch, I mean like other emotions. Mm -hmm. I, I kind of think that that's a, a misnomer. Uh, I mean, with anger specifically, the, the way in which we keep on maintaining like this sort of sense of anger, like over something, whatever it may be. Yeah. And, and that will lead us to not have the utmost control over how we respond to that right. anger yeah. is that we kind of it creates this narrative inside our head that we justify mm -hmm. so if you don't provide the thoughts of justifying that anger you are creating a half-life for that feeling to to begin with mm -hmm. for that like state of mind and, and anger should be viewed at the same ex like the same exact um manner that like boredom is you know it's a state of mind like if i'm bored right now mm -hmm. that's just like a state of mind and right. like it, it will pass but something about anger is just so seductive and the reason why is because we have this, you know, intuition to just try to justify, you know, someone said something mean to you and, oh, they did that because they're dumb or like, I'm smart. Or maybe you didn't understand, like, oh, no, you know, maybe I'm the dumb one and, and they're the smart one mm. and like, what, they're right. And like, oh, you know what? It just like makes me so mad. And then you list all the reasons why it makes you mad. And the more that you just consider each one of those reasons, then break it down further. That's just like, you're prolonging the amount that you're well, just like being angry about something. That's interesting. You bring that up because I read another self-help book that was called it's called the tools and it was by it was written by these two um they're hollywood psychiatrists actually so they deal with a lot of hollywood people so i feel oh like yeah so they deal with some crazy stuff but and but it does a lot of it can pertain i mean it really it does pertain to mm -hmm. anyone's life and they have this chapter that using a tool for for anger when you're angry at someone and they call that what you were just describing they call that the maze like when you're just talking like all these you're thinking about all these things so like you know someone says says something mean to you i don't know make up something like hey asshole and that really upsets you and then you're like oh like fuck that guy and you're just like stewing it's like stewing in your head like i don't see like you're gonna lash out like what am i gonna do and all, and what's happened is you're in a maze that this person this like other person has created for you where because they called you that mm -hmm. and because you're so upset now you're just thinking about this and, and like all these things and it's just yeah. it's just spinning around in your head and you can't and you can't focus on like your next thing it's like you have something to take. You have things to do. Yeah, and, and, and I think that's that's where like the power of, or I guess the point of like meditation helps to unravel and like unpack. Because what happens then, it creates a tunnel vision. I mean, that's essentially like what that psychologist yeah, yeah. is saying. Mm -hmm. and tunnel vision implies that you're not taking in the world. You're not taking in like the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. So like the bigger picture is the fact that you can't control this arising emotion, but you can control how you react to that. Mm -hmm. And it's like when you're just spellbound by thoughts, which is 
is generally like how we live our lives. It's just being constantly spellbound by our thoughts and our emotions too. Yeah. That just like, you know, takes, it makes us like carried away. Those with, um, you know, uh, mental, you know, like challenges and like some like impairments or like mental diseases, for example, like someone with like a mood disorder, they'll have this tunnel vision. They're very highly susceptible to just resting in this tunnel vision and it can be extremely dangerous for them where mm. you know it, it just they're they sound like a broken record sometimes it's yeah. just like well why didn't you call me yeah. and, and you're just like oh well like i, I was busy and my cell phone died but but you didn't call me like well <laughs> yeah. I, I just like provide you the reason but you didn't call me and it'll yeah. just like keep on repeating repeating and yeah. repeating and it's just the fact that you're just stuck where you can't see anything outside of this tunnel in in such a way that you can't even imagine there being anything else but this tunnel vision and then you compare that and juxtapose it to when you're outside the tunnel and you can't even imagine ever being inside of it you know depression works exactly the same way like when you're just like stuck in that state yeah well yeah it's definitely all connected and i I think with with this like you know with anger like two things can happen i mean maybe more than two things but one thing is you could lash out immediately at someone just like and have that type of personality where you just can't hold anything in where it just, Mm -hmm. just comes straight out the gate and then there's the other kind where it just stews we just yeah. hold it in the stews and it's like, uh, you know, like, like you're just like, you're saying it to yourself, mm-hmm. but it stays, it stays within you. And then maybe an hour, a few days later, then you kind of explode, you know, yeah. and that, and that's not healthy either. Like both of those situations are not good. So what these guys say, and their names, one guy is Barry Michaels, the other guy is Phil Stutz. I will say the one thing you were talking about themes, that you have a theme going right now for you. Philosophy was last year and you're more into scientific stuff this Mm -hmm. year. And my theme, I guess, would be Mm self-help, although maybe that's been my theme for like the past two years. (laughs) But I would say that's that's my theme because I need help. Well, and uh, <laughs> and uh, so so for this particular so this particular tool, what they tell you to do is they it, it's some variation of you imagine that well first you you try and like generate love so you like what so again concepts that are hard to grasp how do you do that I don't know you just like think about something happy <laughs> I, I really don't know like that's that's something that's hard for me what to do you understand. Mean by generate right so you're supposed to feel love like what does love feel like so you're supposed to feel that within yourself right so if you can do that if you're good at doing that do that and then you think about the person you're angry at you know you're angry at your boss right so then you take that and you you send you send it to them you send the love that you have right. you send it to them and and it's a strange concept because you're like why would i want to send them love i i really dislike that person right now but you're supposed to do that in order to calm yourself down and I guess see it in a, maybe in a different perspective or just kind of have kind of put yourself maybe sort of outside the situation. So again, a really good idea in theory, difficult concept, at least for someone like me to grasp. Well, all of this can be looked at like empathy. It's a muscle that you just have to exercise yeah, like yeah. constantly. Yeah. And I mean, when you're reading of suggestions like that, mm-hmm. always keep in mind that they're just trying to shine a light on the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. So it's really not a substitution. Like mm-hmm. I think a lot of people when they read self-help books and it gives a suggestion like that, mm-hmm. they think that, oh, in lieu of anger, replace with love. And that, I, I think that that's yeah, no. not, not the way in which – I mean, I haven't read the book, but no, I mean, that's really, not what they're saying. Yeah, really. It, it's, it's trying to, it's like looking at the solar system and you're just like focused on Mars and someone is trying to tell you like, no, there's actually a lot of other planets that you can like take into consideration. So with that there, you know, so take into account impermanence, which is, uh, you know, that relates to 
one of the main focal points of Buddhism. Mm -hmm. And with impermanence kind of gives this sense that I can't control everything. And that is supposed to be relieving pressure. I mean, that's yeah. one component of it, right? So, it, and, and everything is degrading in front of you and um, you shouldn't look at that like a bad thing. When you're reading a book, the ink on the page is literally disintegrating in front of your very eyes. Mm -hmm. you, know, you have no way of conceptualizing, well, you can conceptualize, but you actually have no way of, you know, perfectly analyzing the atoms uh, that make up all the material around you, you know, yeah. it, it, or understand like, you know, why it has even like come together in that way. So when you recognize that you, you recognize like, Oh, I'm angry right now, but mm. based on impermanence, that's not going to always be the case. Right. And I'm angry about this one thing right now, but that's not always going to be the case. Mm. And then you recognize severity in terms of this emotional state as well. So then you can maybe project different or, or, or um, act in a certain way that uh, you would if you were still angry but over something else. So yeah. instead of someone like calling you out on something and you're angry and now you want to punch them in the face, recognize, well, that's anger and so is anger when I stub my toe. But I don't punch someone in the face when I stub yeah. my toe. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and, and these two things are just like different ways in which we're you know um, parsing th th this one emotion. But what keeps this emotion an emotion is that it is – fleeting yeah. and, and it's recognizing that you're in a tunnel right now and so and what what you suggested about projecting love on others and then like seeing that i guess like generating love within yourself yeah. and then projecting it on others is what i meant to say yeah I mean, that is like i mean you're supposed to have um i guess the idea is to have a more measured approach at the end of it like once you take yourself through it and yeah. you successfully, because because even if you try it once, and I've tried it, yeah. and then at the end I'm like, and then it all all the emotions come rushing back. So it's like it's like, well, fuck, it didn't work. Yeah. Wait, gotta try it again. And then you do that, and I think the whole point is, yeah, you're supposed to have some kind of because you're not supposed to be passive, you know. So it's not like something happens to you, and and then you use that tool, right? And then you're like, well, I guess it doesn't matter anymore because it's still gonna be there. You but know? but but that's I guess where I'm. Uh, you know, I, I, it's I have a problem it's, with it because yeah. to use the word tool, yeah. I don't think is the right way. You yeah. know, just just like if someone has, well, I think it's it's uh, a, a habit. Everything like a tool implies reactionary. The, the 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 pipe was broken, and I had a tool, and because pipe was broken, I fixed it like this. Where inst instead, it's supposed to be a state of mind that you're embracing and that you're kind of like resting in. Mm. And so when you're perturbed, you know that that doesn't last forever and your default state is actually being imperturbed. I think it's more for people to have something to hold on to where it's like you have a tool in your yeah. arsenal to fix something. Like they, they actually, people actually want that. They want to have a tool for situations yeah, but, but like, an immediate, like an immediate solution. And that's fast food. And, and, <laughs> and that's – you know, and, and I think that like when it's like fast food like that, it, it, it can help in the short term. Um, but – it, it's, it's not something to like carry, you know, with you. I mean, sure that there are some things that will work for you, mm -hmm. um, but you never know what new is going to come along, right? So then you might want right. a bigger tool, right? But wouldn't it be like the same as like exercising a muscle, where if you keep using a tool, you're like you're getting more accustomed to it. That's how you, I would think. And it you is. would, and it becomes almost second nature. So it becomes almost a part, like it's a part of you, like it's it's second nature. You're just going right to it. So like you come across someone. That makes you angry, and you're like, I know how to, I know how to handle this, right? But once yeah. again, to to the to the bigger picture, mm -hmm. you, you, like when you speak of tool, 
mm-hmm. it implies that there's like multiple tools, right? Yeah. So it, when you're reactionary like that, it means oh, when you're feeling this way, like maybe it's like anger, you're going to employ this thing and that's going to be different than when you're feeling this motion and that motion where I'm saying like the bigger picture, if you kind of take on that task, you realize that everything can be connected and you're going to work on one thing that will become habitual Mm -hmm. that will, let's say like treat everything. So just like swimming can like treat all the muscles in your body. That's sort of like what I'm advocating, like see the ocean and like, you know, you know swim in the most in the ocean so when your leg like breaks down uh you have other strengths that you can then support your leg Mm -hmm. rather than um i don't work out anything except my left leg because i know (laughs) that sometimes i get trouble with my left leg so i'm only going to work that thing out and my point is well you never know if you're going to suddenly have problem with your right leg obviously i'm speaking all like metaphorical Mm -hmm. terms but that's how i feel great today Good. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I mean by like looking at um, you know the bigger picture. But I mean, let's go back on. Uh, I do want to. I I'm gonna send you this book because I'm curious yeah. to see what you think about it. Yeah, yeah. For, yeah. What I, what I think is interesting is, and I don't want to necessarily put every, each of us in the box, but you were saying how there's like themes. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting how each of us have a it seems a completely different theme as to what we go about mm-hmm. with books. Or it's interesting because like you have self help, mm-hmm. Keith seems to science and and intellectual kind of stimulating. Well, I mean, I read about like self help is, is sure. some I, of them are correlated. I, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think all of this is is really correlated. And, some yeah. people get like cathartic, you know, um, you know, feelings from just reading a work of non mm-hmm. of fiction, right? Mm-hmm. You yeah, know? That, and that's I think where I I'm I'm setting where I typically go into books as a as an escape, and Twilight. I try to not. <laughs> <laughs> Not exactly Twilight, but I do try to go for the the fiction type books where it's I, I typically go for humor. Yeah, where yeah. it's kind of an escape. I can I can block out essentially my senses. Yeah, I that's can, a great sh- process. No, that's, yeah. that's and I go, try to find some not typically like always laugh out loud. I'm I'm more uh, like the satirical kind of dry humor style British British British, <laughs> the British, British very British office. Yeah. Which is actually true because my favorite book is Hitchhikers by Douglas Adams. Yeah, have you read, have you read Woodhouse? Woodhouse, no. Read you Woodhouse? I, I should. He he's he's kind of like the the very foundation of like 20th century British humor. Oh, okay, but yeah, I think it's 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 great because I I feel like humor in books could is just I don't know what I'm trying to say, but it's like. <laughs> You can reach so many levels because especially differentiating between British humor and American humor. And I don't know, it just it works as a, an escape for me where I typically go into, for me, the British humor works for me because I, uh, I don't know, is Kurt Vonnegut American? Yeah. He's American. Okay, so then I'm... I don't know what the fuck I'm but, talking about, but because but, but I love a, Kurt Vonnegut. Yeah, but it's a different kind of humor, though, right? Than, I love Kurt it's Vonnegut. Not as in your face. I love Douglas Adams, and I'm recently gotten into Neil Gaiman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of my favorite books ever is Good Omens. It's Neil Gaiman and co-written by Terry Pratchett, mm-hmm. who by both I believe are British, and it's it's fun where Neil Gaiman he's a British dude that moved to America and has lived here for a good amount of time. And it's not straightforward humor. It's more situational slash character humor. It's these really interesting 
comedic style characters, like specifically with good omens. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's hilarious and actually fits in with sort of the conversations we're having. It relates to religion Mm. and it's a, it's a satirical take on religion, but not necessarily in making fun of religion itself, but more of making fun of humans and our relationship to religion. So for instance, the, the overview of the book is an angel and a demon have been living on earth for about maybe 10,000 years or so. Mm-hmm. And they've been on Earth, I think, for so long that they have they have more in common with what's going on on Earth and with each other than they do with their respective realms, heaven and hell. And it's coming time for the, the Armageddon, essentially, the apocalypse, where I guess the battle between hell, heaven and hell. And this angel and demon are like, wait a minute, we, we've been living here for all this time. We love it here. One of them drives a Bentley and listens to Queen. The other one <laughs> has has a huge book collection. And he just, he loves having like intellectual kind of stimula- stimulation and conversations. And they're going, we have to stop the apocalypse. Yeah. And essentially it's these two guys going off and doing some sort of silly shenanigans to, to stop the end of the apocalypse. But... Uh, to to take on how it's a, a satire of religion as it relates to how humans interact with it. Mm-hmm. One of the demons goes, the demon who's on earth goes, I haven't been doing anything for a few thousand years. What these humans do to each other is way worse than anything I have ever, I could ever come up with. So mm-hmm. I think that it's really funny in, in how they, they approach the satire in that. And yeah. Definitely. And then you have somebody like Kurt Vonnegut, who is, is a black satirist, who yeah. he, he takes on, on war a lot. He, yeah. He's very anti-war, and you can really tell that, that through his his, his books. Yeah. Cat's Cradle. Cat's Cradle. Because I read that years ago, but like I've, I've forgotten a lot of it. I remember enjoying yeah, it. Yeah, I love Cat's Cradle and Slaughterhouse-Five. Yeah, those are the big two, right? Oh my god, they're great. They're mm. really great. And Slaughterhouse-Five is just, it's really funny, especially, and it does have some interesting... Um, philosophical thoughts with regard to the there's aliens involved with the story and Mm -hmm. they see in four dimensions Mm -hmm. so essentially this is like uh, a rival but with ridiculous shenanigans going on or interstellar or interstellar yeah (laughs) so are they they inside murphy's bookcase as well maybe yeah so essentially there's there's a character who was abducted by aliens and in his abduction he now is able to see in four dimensions and rather than wherein arrival I don't know if you guys saw Arrival. I did see Arrival. Okay. I liked, I, I liked I Arrival. Not, I did not. Okay, so... Can, can you not blow anything? I won't blow anything. So, rather... So, essentially, he's jumping to various parts in uh, in his timeline. So, at one moment, he's in World War II fighting uh, the Germans. And uh, the next moment, he's in the 60s, and he's a dentist now. And then... Poof, another moment he's sent back 30, 40 years before and he's a teenager. And then poof, now he's back and he was, he's been abducted by the aliens. So, and it's just these this ridiculous story. And again, it's I think what ties those two together is the characters. Where there's just really silly characters and the situations that they're put in and how they interact with those the scenarios. But I find that it's it, it's a good laugh. And I'm able to find it as an escape. And I'm also able to find some interesting ideas, especially relating to anti-war with Kurt Vonnegut or interesting religious discussions with Neil Gaiman. Especially, I'm, I'm right now reading uh, American Gods 
by Neil Gaiman, and it's yeah. super interesting. I really like it. It's it's kind of it's really cool. Essentially, uh, just a quick summary of, of of the the story without giving anything really away. It's a look on what happened when people immigrated to America and they took their myths and their gods here. Okay. Those were the first gods that were uh, among American people, and over time. America, just as a culture, has gained new gods. So now there's a god of TV and a god of radio and a god of cell phones and a god of mini malls and stuff like that. And <laughs> it's causing the old gods who are like the Egyptian gods and the Egyptian myths and the Greek myths and um, the Irish myths. Those people are slowly fading away in mm -hmm. obscurity while America is so focused on these new myths and these new gods that they're essentially creating and it's a dynamic between how are the old gods now are interacting with the new gods and it sounds really interesting I'm, yeah i'm gonna have to read that i'm really enjoying it yeah and then of course there's douglas adams who's just a ridiculous human being and i love him and i love the way he anthropomorphizes just who the hell is that somebody's there, there somebody's are, somebody's in the hallway they're our friends they're our friends but i love the way he anthropomorphizes just like like a table or something like that and gives it these these just such menial unnecessary thoughts just like oh I'm, I'm a table what's going on oh what's this thing resting on me like it's just well, what would a table be thinking yeah it's, it's just great it's interesting that you go to for books that you go to humor yeah now for me that's where i like when i come home from work i go to i watch tv i watch funny things on tv mm -hmm. and then when i'm on my commute then I listen, I'll listen to either a podcast or something on Audible, and I'll yeah. listen to like a self-help thing. So I'm getting that. I'm getting the self-help as I'm commuting to work, as <laughs> and as I'm coming for my for my day. And once my day is over, I'm all I'm exhausted, and I'm just like I just need to relax and have some comedy. Yeah, I just I just find that interesting how like the difference and what we all gravitate towards. Yeah, we're yeah. we're just three yeah. people, and we have um, very different interests in in books. Yeah, I mean, I just think that like comedy should be present in everything too mm -hmm. okay e even if it's not uh spoken comedy so instrumental music can be funny too if they throw in an idea that or they like a key change that just meant to perk your ears up and uh -huh. you realize oh man they're just totally making a fool out of this cover and it's hysterical now yeah i mean i've seen that uh, a bunch of times where you could have somebody playing uh even a serious instrumental song and then maybe they'll just throw in the little intro to mario you know, just to, exactly, and they'll just they'll just throw you, and you're like, oh, well, all right, <laughs> look at this, look at this guy, he's got a yeah. sense of humor. Well, yeah, consider this fun. Consider the source uh, did, did that like one of the oh, sure. shows. So like, consider the source is just this really out there, crazy, crazy sci-fi fusion metal instrumental group, just a tour of the force for sure. It's always running on all cylinders. I'd say they they push the boundaries of what you can do with on their instruments. But they'll be playing one of their songs. Chaotic. It's crazy. It's extremely complicated. And uh, so many layers of, of rhythmic structure going on. And then all of a sudden, they're playing the Bee Gees. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, oh, I didn't, uh, I didn't see that coming. And then they, then they uh, as a transition out of um, How Deep Is Your Love, to go back into their song, they'll maybe have this break, and then the drummer will... Uh, trigger uh, on his uh, like on this drum pad th this sound that will just then come out of, like the PA system and it'll just say something really goofy like consider the sources where babies come from and then they just drop <laughs> the beat and they're just right back into their chaotic you know, song. I mean, That's I, great. I guess like chaotic is like 
subjective. Some people listen to their music and they think that that's how music is supposed to be. But uh, I think to the average listener, it, it would sound chaotic. Now, are there any books like we've kind of discussed certain books that we tend to go towards? Are there any books that you have tried out that are outside of the normal vein that you typically try to try to ingest? Oh, sure. And have you liked it? Have you, did you hate it? Um, What's up? Well, I mean, more so like books that I've I've heard are classics, or you know, and like mm-hmm. things like you. Oh, you got to read this book, and so I've done I've done that sort of thing. Okay, and then I've been, and then two things happen where I'm like, I didn't like this, and I don't understand what I'm missing since like everyone else liked it. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, Twilight. Uh, no, not Twilight. <laughs> um, I uh, I read. Um, oh gosh, it's not. It's the other book, The Dharma Bums by um jack kerouac um, i don't know that one that's uh he also wrote on the road i think that's the big oh okay big okay one. and i guess maybe on the road's the one that i should have read but mm-hmm. i t- you know people think that that both of those books are like the best and they're you know, inspirational whatever you know was part of the beat generation yeah and it to me i mean maybe i would have to try and read it again but it just floundered around it's just him you know just it's just like wandering and I feel like I'm wandering while I'm reading it and not really sure what's going on. <laughs> so that, that to me, I just didn't really follow it. And, and also there, there are books that I love Hunter S Thompson and, and he's definitely someone who's all over the place, but to me, he's a lot more entertaining. Yeah. Like he's, he's someone who's just really funny. So like his stuff I can totally get into. Uh, but with Kerouac, I didn't have that same feeling. I just couldn't it, I, I don't know. I just couldn't immerse myself in it. Interesting. So I would say that's a good example um, because there was a period of time where I was going through all the classics mm-hmm. and uh, one was um, Picture of Dorian Gray. Oh, sure. That? Yeah. I actually liked it. Okay. Some people. You know, I, I'm in I'm in the club where I did not enjoy that book. Yeah. I, I can convince you otherwise. Yeah. I like, I went through <laughs> a phase where, um, where I thought I should go back and read some classics because... I missed out on a lot mm-hmm. as a kid because um, for some reason I didn't read any of the classics in my English classes. And another one, like I read Scarlet Letter, I think. Uh, and actually, I enjoyed all these books, but for some reason, um, and I guess this wasn't in the same category. The Dharma Bums probably wasn't like a high school required reading. I can't imagine it was. That, yeah, that was something that just did not appeal to me. Okay. So I tried the, you know, well-known, I mean, I guess more obscure. Mm-hmm. I feel like had I told people that I liked the book, I would be lying to be pretentious. Okay. So I was just like, you know what? I did not like it. <laughs> and I didn't and I didn't get it. And yeah. maybe I didn't understand it, but you know what? That's that's real. All right. That's real, guys. That's real. <laughs> what about you, Keith? Is there a book you read out of your comfort zone that either you liked or you, you hated? Like I I think of it I, maybe I think of things a little more differently. It's not so split in this like dichotomy schism between two things like i don't think of like and dislike but i also consider books that i'm simply not ready for right now mm. and there are a lot of sometimes are you ready I, for twilight some, i mean i i think <laughs> i back to twilight <laughs> I, I, I think i definitely am not and that's why i don't want to venture to read it <laughs> but um Sometimes you might not understand why you're not ready, but you just get, at least like I sometimes just get this sense of it, like, all right, I have to read X, Y, and Z before I jump to um, this book. And mm-hmm. an example of that, I think I was in high school when I read like The Power of Now. Mm-hmm. So, and it's 
the title of the book kind of like says it all. It, yeah. you know, just pretty much like what, what does it mean to uh, rest in pure awareness? And it, it was more or less just like a, a book on mindfulness. But for, I mean, for one reason or another, I just it wasn't the book for me at that time. I didn't understand these concepts, and I, and I thought they did. I remember reading some parts of that book, and I mean, just being frustrated with how it was being phrased. It was just had I met someone who actually understands all these concepts and had a conversation that I could lead mm-hmm. and I could ask questions and be very Socratic about it and then read the book, I think that would make much more sense. So I just didn't have that experience to preface jumping into it. But it was like the first, let's say, self-help book that I ever opened up. Um, I consider anything that's cathartic to be self-help. So mm-hmm. I mean, I think that that's just it's such like a broad term self-help but anyway uh but now i think i'm in a much better position to understand and appreciate and you can understand a subject and then just decide not to like it it's not for you whatever Mm -hmm. or or you could even agree with everything that's being written but just don't like how it's being written Mm -hmm. so there are still a lot of books that are i'm not ready for but I, I get a sense that I might end up liking them or maybe I, I, I won't. But like you, mm-hmm. I, I sometimes have my moments where it's just like, everyone is talking about this book. Yeah. Should I Should I read it? Should I pick it up? Should I, should I see like what's going on? And the last time I did that, I, I regret it so much. Um, the, the, the Girl of the Dragon Tattoo. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I picked that up and um, I was just like... I, I you were going to say Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I generally go with the notion of like, I could see myself enjoying this book because of I know what it's about, let's say. Yeah. And, and I thought that way with that book. And I just, let's just say I saw potential, but then I saw the laziest execution imaginable. And, you know, I went with it with it, with the idea like, hey, they made the the movies in uh, what, like Sweden, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and then they're making, they're, they were going to make, you know, the trilogy in America. They just stopped at the first one. I don't know if they're going to make a second one. Oh, yeah, they never did, um, did they? But yeah, and it was, wasn't that like David Fincher? Like they had yeah, an they amazing had, director and had, everything. They had all the right, all the right tools. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, maybe they corrected some, I mean, obvious errors. But anyway. <laughs> so not a fan <laughs> yeah uh, i mean what bothers me is knowing that i really want to get to this book but i'm not ready for it and sometimes it's like it, it's not so intuitive so for for example i own a few very short books we're talking between 100 and 200 pages and i know i am nowhere near ready for this right now mm-hmm. and it just seems odd right to, to, to think that like well you can mm-hmm. read it it reasonably like in a day and certainly like within a week and why would you not be ready for for, for that and sometimes it, it's a book that will require just an exponential amount of further reading mm. and probably further reading that you should have done prior to reading this one book and uh, i mean i'm getting a little bit better i think with recognizing that because you got to go by the author not not the book itself you got to know how this author talks how he writes mm-hmm. what he knows about what his educational background is because if it's an author like lawrence wright he's just a massive researcher so he'll, he'll take you through the journey mm-hmm. you know but if you know that it's like someone who just knows everything there is to know about history and they wrote a 200 page book buyer beware <laughs> because He's not going to give you a lecture on anything. Yeah. He's telling you through his eyes, it's it went down this way. Yeah. 
So yeah, you'll have to let us know when once you once you get to that point where you can read those books, you have to let us know how it went. It's it's rhetorical. It's, it's, yeah. it's uh, we'll do we'll do a part two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll I never th- get to all of them. That's yeah. that's 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 the best part of the journey. That's part of the point. <laughs> I found that um, a book that was out of my normal comfort zone, which it seemed tends to be fiction, mm-hmm. was Night by Ellie Wiesel. Yeah, which was a, a memoir. I've read that book. I, I loved it. It was incredible. Yeah, I, I I liked it. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't love because that's again another one where everyone was like, "This book, really? This book?" And I read I, it. And I'm like, I actually loved yeah. it. I, I it's essentially it's a, it's a memoir of somebody who who went through the Holocaust. Yeah, and yeah. And I, I don't like, know if like I I mean oh, I went to I went to Hebrew <laughs> school and I was we had to take like classes and and we like yeah. learned about the Holocaust not and stop and whatever and it was just. It was kind of, these are the facts. But this one, it just seemed to like, I guess because there was a personal right. uh, representative yeah, behind yeah. it, it seemed to have a bit more impact. And I think maybe also ha- just having a personal uh, relation to it, because it turned out that my grandfather was actually in the same concentration camp that Ellie Wiesel was in. Sure. So, so that, was, I think, was just also interesting. And it just had me, I think I read it maybe in, in a day, which for any normal reader could easily do. I'm like Keith with I'm a very slow reader but yeah I think I read it within like a day or two and it was just it, I would I thought it was incredible and I don't typically enjoy reading uh nonfiction or true true historical books maybe right. maybe a historical book that's like one of those like what is it um Abraham Lincoln vampire hunter kind of thing where yeah. it's like based in in some sense of, of reality but they take it off I've never read that we, but we uh, took a president's name and we put it in the right. title <laughs> <laughs> not that I've read that but I mean that's that's the as close to fiction yeah no non, non-fiction sorry yeah. that I typically go for but yeah I love that but then yeah. on the other hand I read thinking I would really love it it was by Terry Pratchett who co-wrote Good Omens. So Terry Pratchett wrote the Discworld series. Mm-hmm. So I started with the first book, which is called The Color of Magic. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of a medieval style kind of fantasy type of book where there's dragons and knights and stuff like that. And it is funny. There's some humor going on. And the the I definitely enjoyed reading it but I didn't like the book, if that makes sense. So essentially there there was like funny parts where it's surrounded by a a wizard and a tourist from another land. And there Mm. were certain things that I just thought were hilarious. Like he's a tourist, so he has a camera, right? Mm. But it's fantasy world, so it's not a a camera like we know. It's like a box and there's a little troll inside. And when he takes a picture, the troll quickly draws a picture of what's going on outside. So I thought that's that's really funny. That's a really interesting way to take what we know today as like a normal tourist and throw that into like a fantasy world like that there's some moments like that that were really funny Mm -hmm. but he i felt that the book didn't have enough uh explanatory it it didn't really explain the uh the the scenery Ah. so i never was a hundred percent sure where certain characters were yeah to the point where i like understood okay so someone so and so is in the dungeon and then we're reading and we're reading and reading. And I'm thinking, okay, now they they must be miles away. And then it's like you get to the next page and they leave the dungeon. And I'm just like, wait, what? That, that's a case of like, um, well, it's really show, don't tell is what you're supposed to do. But right. it sounds like he's telling without showing. Exactly. And it's it's there's other people that I feel do it too much. Which yeah. for me personally and whatever, but I don't I don't like Charles Dickens. 
Yeah. Particularly for that reason, because I feel like you'll look on it, the person will enter a room, and then you have three pages on the desk that's in the corner, and that has no effect to the story. And I'm just like, oh, I, I don't care about this desk. Why are you telling me so much about this fucking desk? Mm-hmm. But in this case, he didn't tell you about anything. Yeah. So it was definitely character based, which I do I do like, but it, I didn't feel there was enough description of what's going on around them for me to fully understand exactly what's going on in the story, which is why I didn't I didn't really love the book, and I was a little disappointed by that. Oh well, yeah, in any book, you need to build like a world in your mind. Mm-hmm. What about like books that are connected between different authors? So like there, there's this uh, I think of it as like an, almost like an interconnection. So it could be. Uh, a famous book that now is being reviewed by a different author hmm. and you have read both. It's almost like primary source, secondary source. I haven't read anything like that, but I could think of things like that, such, such as, I don't know if this necessarily fits within your description, but the EU of Star Wars, because there's so many extended universe books that various authors have well, that's not yeah, yeah, worked I mean, off that, each that's, other. That's like an expansion Right, so I don't know. I don't know if that necessarily. It's almost like fan fiction type sort of expansion. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking of you know you let's say you read Star Wars. uh, I I actually don't know much about the literature of Star Wars, but like an example. uh, I mean, I don't read any of it, so I just know about it. Well, no, like I mean, check out Wikipedia. (laughs) You can think of this as simply as. Anyone that's interpreting, let's say, uh, like, you know, cer- certain, you know, documents, like, like, uh, let's just say anyone that has written anything about the Constitution, like, that would be a way of you're reading a secondary source based on, like, primary information. Okay. Um, uh, I'm, I'm, like, talking, like, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you could even maybe compare autobiographies from, you know, other, like, from just a, a bio- other biographies, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm sure there's, like, instances of, of that. Um, so, this is, like, connects to um, what I was saying before with diving into literature that, wow, there's a lot of further reading to be had, or I might not be ready for X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, like, the last time that I did this, uh, I was interested in the book, uh, it's called The Swerve, and it's by Stephen uh, Greenblatt. And that won the Pulitzer for nonfiction as well as like the National Book Award. So it was like pretty big in 2011-2012, and he wrote a few really great articles. I think it was like published in The New Yorker or something um, that I read, and it was just really interesting. So The Swerve is uh, about, let's say uh, – like the first notions of atomic theory and specifically in the realm of uh, Rome and Greece, a turn of, you know, from BC to to, to AD. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, there was a man, um, Lucretius, who wrote On the Nature of Things, which is this massive, massive didactic poem. So it's a poem that is supposed to be educational. Mm. And educational in a way of I am conveying a controversial idea, con- controversial like for the time. Yeah. And it's spoonful of sugar helps medicine go down. Medicine is the message. Spoonful of sugar is I'm writing this because it rhymes and yeah. you like that, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> um, 
but an extremely like, powerful message. So like the idea of the swerve was actually taking you through the story of that. We actually don't know much of anything about Lucretius. A lot of derogatory things have been written about him uh, because it was such a controversial uh, poem that he wrote. And anyway, it, it kind of takes you through this journey of the man who transcribed the poem and like what that was. So it's like a historical, oh, okay. um, it, it, I don't want to say historical fiction, but you know, it, because so much was based in fact, yeah. but he's providing this like framework of, you know, look, imagine what it was like to live in this time mm-hmm. that, um, which would be like the 15th century. Yeah. Um, that that's where the translator, um, who found this poem in a monastery. And I think it was like Germany. Um, but in order to read this book, uh, what I want this is what I really want to say. I had to then first research, uh, first of all, uh, everything that I, that I, you know, think I know about atomic theory. Let's just dial that clock down, you know, back to the beginning and see how that actually start. Where is it now? What mm-hmm. we do know, what we don't know. Um, it's not like I was studying quantum mechanics, but I wanted to know the difference between quantum mechanics and quantum physics mm-hmm. and like what, why would this theory be even controversial in the very first place? Mm-hmm. You know, in the origins I came to know didn't even start with the crisis. So then why is this figure so important? And then, you know, why is this translator, um, by the way, he was this Italian gentleman by the name of, um, Poggio Bracciolini, uh, that you know that was the 15th century character that this book is sort of like framed around mm-hmm. but it was this long adventure because and then i had to read it, it you know outside of these two books on the nature of things and the swerve outside of this i had to read about atomic theory the history of that so i could understand the context of it now which was the swerve that okay. book and then where it is 500 years ago which is Bojo Bracciolini, and mm-hmm. where it was 1,500 years before that because um, this, the on the nature of things was, let's say, completed or written around like 50 BC. We actually okay. don't know um, when because we don't know much about Lucretius. But it's just like such – it's like an endeavor. It's like I felt like I took uh, a semester-long class <laughs> in, I mean, in, in this. Yeah, that's, that's damn pretty incredible. Um, but so, yeah, yeah. – we're we're coming around like an hour and a half now, but so I feel like wrapping it up. What books? If we had to recommend books to read, um, just to do like a quick wrap up. Well, recommending. Right, we'll start with you, Keith. What do you recommend? Can you give a subject? Uh, <laughs> anything. Uh, I I would say. Um, I mean, anything we've talked about. I mean, I guess would so you, you recommend Sam Harris to people? Do you think he's someone that? Yeah, I'd certainly like. I mean, if you're interested in spirituality, Wake Up is a great book. But it's it's by no means is going to exhaust the subject. I mean, it's it'll fall so short in that sense. So I don't want to like give anyone like a false impression of what to expect from the book. But here's an example of a book that uh, will acquire um like a a a mountain of further reading, but is absolutely worth it. It's uh, Letters to a Young Contrarian. Um, that's by uh, Hitchens. That's like one of the short books, but man, you're going to be reading about everything that he mentioned for years to come, and that's also like what I'm doing right now. Okay, that's my 
Let, I'll say, I'll put that down as my Cool. Word. Letters to a Young Contrarian, you said? Yeah. By Christopher Hitchens. Okay. And what about you? Um, Twilight? Yeah, Twilight. Yeah. No, I, I've uh, exhausted that joke. I'm sorry, that, guys. I thought that joke died on the table with the first yeah, utterance. <laughs> I'd definitely say... Keep it alive. Go for Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's a lot of fun. You'll get some laughs out of it. It's some really cool ideas. Yeah, definitely recommend that. Uh, even give Good Omens a shot. I think that that's a definitely, I'd say, my two favorites. Oh, and I'll throw in 1984. Go for that. Oh, okay. Yeah. But, be yeah. re- but be ready for 1984. I think that, yeah. that requires... Be ready for 1984. You think yeah. so? Like, like oh, like high schoolers should not be reading 1984. That's, that's true. That, that's they, true, because I read it they, only they a few years ago. They have no idea um, how ubiquitous that book can actually be. I mean, I have... A job that you sustain that, I mean, minimizes any sort of critical thought in your critical faculties um, or study civics and and, and world history and then read that book. But like make sure that you have some context going in because otherwise it's just going to be – I don't understand the point of this. It's like not ever hearing of World War II or not understanding what American culture is like in the 19 – in, the, in like the mid uh, 20th century and then reading Catch-22. You're going to hate the book. You're going to mm. think it's like stupid or not even take it as Things are very satirical. much up with time, for yeah. sure. What would I recommend? I don't know. I I was talking about the tools before. I think that's beneficial for a lot of people. I don't know if everyone's would be able to grasp it necessarily. Maybe the, the first one I talked about, The Art of Not Giving a Fuck, I think is something that we can all apply, at least in like the little little things in our lives. So I would say I'd recommend, I think the guy's name is Mark Manson, I believe. And he, I think he has a website too that has a bunch of little articles. I don't know why I'm plugging this guy, but he's got a bunch of articles that are within the book as well. So I'd probably recommend that one over the other one because I feel like that one is definitely more accessible. It was, I think it was a New York Times bestseller last year. Yeah. Excellent. So, uh, So there you go. Cool. There we have it. There we have it. Yeah. Do we have anything else we want to say? I mean, we we covered a lot. Yeah, a we, lot of different topics. You know, I wish we had a, books. I wish we had the Oprah on, and she could talk about her book club. Oprah, Oprah. What, what do you what do you recommend? Oh, oh the secret. What? Oh, is that it? <laughs> what were we thinking? We should have called Oprah up today. Yeah, Oprah for president, everybody. All right. Um, <laughs> All right, so I guess that's it for today, guys. Keith, thanks so much for, yeah, for man. being on here. This was really great. Yeah, thanks this for hanging out. And let's do this again soon. Definitely. You know, maybe we'll, we'll do a part two or do a new topic. I feel like there's a lot we can I, all we can all talk about. Yeah, I, I would love to talk about uh, – I mean, we, we mentioned like philosophy today. Yeah. And how books that we have read. Yeah. Ways in which that just stirs our mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that would be a great topic in the future. If you, unless cool. you covered it, no, no. We, me and Mike, we talk about movies. And we talk things. about Mel Brooks and fart jokes. Yeah, that's, that's it. I was there for Mel Brooks. Yeah, the second one. Yeah, 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 that's right. Also a great topic. Yes. Well, thank you so much, guys, for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Peace. Peace.